Good morning. It is good to be here again. I do enjoy coming here uh, several times a year, and um, it's good to be here this morning. Um, appreciate you the, speaking with the, for the congregation from Shenandoah. We appreciate you as, as a group a lot. Um, appreciate your presence in Shenandoah every now and then, and um, uh, yeah, encourage you to come up and uh, see where we're at, see what's going on up there. Love. Very different setting than here, but um, yeah, a group to worship with just the same. Uh, definitely want to bless you this coming week um, with the ordination coming up and with those that have been nominated with Drew and Damien. Blessings to you, brothers, as you um, wait to on the, on the Lord's will, what he has, um, what he has for you. Um, definitely a, can be a stressful time. Um, I never went through the lot when it was when it was two years, two and a half years ago when I was ordained. Um, I was by myself, so once the nominations were done, it was that was that. And I'll admit I was kind of glad that was there wasn't the waiting period. But I really appreciate the lot, and I know I've said this to some other people before. Um, you have the you have the voice of the church, um, the Lord speaking through the church when brothers are nominated, and in this case, there's two. And then the way the lot is used, um, how it's, you might want to call it random selection, but it's not random. It is the work of the Lord, and he um, chooses the one that he would have um, for the job. And in this, in this case, it is for the office of deacon. So um, see that as a privilege um, to wait on the Lord and to um, hear what he would have. And blessings to you as you prepare for that. For a message this morning, you may turn in your Bible to John chapter 8. As you know, we just passed through the holiday season of July 4th, or Independence Day, um, a very loud and boisterous holiday. Um, I believe maybe in our area it was worse this year than last year because of last year being pretty shut down over this time. It seemed pretty dramatic, but um, that, was, that was the season. It was, it was loud well into the night. Um, I can kind of enjoy fireworks. I used to enjoy them pretty much, um, but not so much anymore, um, especially not at 11 o'clock at night when they're thundering around buildings and everything's echoing very loud, especially when children are supposed to be sleeping. Um, fireworks aren't that much fun. But that's what we were in. We were in that season. And what was being celebrated, it was Independence Day. It was the, uh, the commemoration of the... It's now the states, it was the colonies being separated from, from Britain. Independence, freedom was the celebration. And it was through, after the Revolutionary War, there was, there was, there was freedom, there was a split. And that's what they were, that's what the fireworks were about. And that is supposed to be what's commemorated, um, the freedoms. And we know we have freedoms, we have, um, we have religious freedoms, I'm not afraid of somebody walking in the back doors and shutting this down. That's not, probably not going to happen. And we are glad that it, that it is that way, at least now yet. Um, and I, I have no fear when I leave my house in the morning that I'm going to randomly get arrested for, um, for somebody knowing that I was at church the day before. That's, that's not on my mind. That's not that way everywhere. So that freedom that we have, 
we should appreciate, and I do appreciate, the physical freedoms that we have. The dictionary defines freedom as the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. And yeah, that could be the definition of freedom. That's a pretty open-ended. Um, and you might even, there could even be a debate, is that actually freedom? Um, to speak, act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. Because we do have restraints. Um, we have laws that restrain us from doing certain things. Um, I think the speed limit on um, 501 is 45. Um, that is a restraint. I'm not supposed to go faster than that when I'm going up 501. Is it my freedom to do that? No, it's not. Um, I, guess, I guess it is. You could say it is, but there could be consequences. So it's not really a freedom. Um, so is freedom really free to do whatever we want? And it, it's not. But freedom um, to f physical freedoms that we have, we can be very thankful for. In the text I want to read, in John chapter 8, Jesus talks about being free, and Jesus talks pretty much about being free. Um, so he was, he was an advocate for freedom, um, but a freedom that is much greater than physical freedom. I talk some on physical freedoms, um, religious freedoms that we have, um, freedom of speech. Um, we, have, we have these things, and we can be glad for them. But Jesus talked about something much deeper and much more important than physical freedoms. He talked about spiritual freedom, a freedom that can exist, not that it's going to exist, um, but it can exist regardless of the circumstances. I don't know how many of you, I'm sure some of you have been um, on prison ministry. I had been with Gospel Express a few times several years ago, and it is amazing. Um, the people that you can talk to in prison, their, their, um, their freedoms are very limited. Um, that are spiritually free in prison. They are happy. They're happy to, to talk to you. The joy on their face is evident. Um, it's been quite a few years since I went. I don't know if it changed or not, but we would have, we'd have a chapel time. We, we, would, we could interact with the, with the inmates before that, but then we'd often have a chapel time later in the day or in the evening, and they could choose to come out. So you probably got the, the better ones, I'll say, to come out, coming out to chapel. But the ones that came out, or a lot of the ones that came out, were happy, they were, they were joyful, they were talking about what was going on, um, ministries they might have had going in prison, and I was often very surprised or encouraged to think that behind bars, in a jumpsuit of the color that you're required to wear, there could be that kind of freedom. So like I said earlier, um, freedoms, these freedoms can exist in any circumstance, but they're not going to always. And on the flip side, while this freedom can, the spiritual freedom can happen inside of a prison, bondage can happen outside. And many people outside of prison are in bondage. Not physically, but spiritually. And that's what I want to look at um, this morning. In John chapter 8, we're going to jump into the middle of the chapter it's a pretty long chapter, but I'm going to look at, I'm going to read verses 31 through 36. Before I do that, um, just a little bit of a summary of what was before that in chapter 8. Well, verse 30 says, And he spoke these words, and many believed on him. So what was Jesus speaking prior to verse 31? Um, so Jesus had convinced many that he was the Messiah. I'm, I'm 
um, just abbreviating here for the first part of chapter 8. Um, he's, he convinced many that he was the Messiah through the teaching in the prior verses. He had spoke about being the light of the world. That is, uh, verses, verse 12, he talks about being the light of the world. Um, and he talked about how God and the Father, they bear witness of him. There was some controversy there. He, he, was, he was stating how um, um, where two agree, that is a, a, a reliable witness. And he's saying how um, God is his witness and he is his witness. Um, talking to the Pharisees, you know how that went with, with him. But um, how God and the Father are witness of him. And then he says how the Father is always with him. And he, being Jesus, speaking of himself, does all things that please him. So that's a very quick summary leading up to verse 30 where he says, where it says, and he spoke these words and many believed on him. And I had to wonder if his words were convincing, if he spoke them in a convincing tone. Was it his manner? Was it the way he carried himself? Um, I can think of times where I've talked to somebody where the way they presented themselves spoke volumes, body language, um, does a lot. So it was, was Jesus' words, were they convincing um, in the way he spoke them? Um, was it the confidence he spoke? I, I don't really know. It doesn't say. Um, but this isn't the only time that it says where when Jesus finished speaking that many were, that many believed or were astounded. In the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, uh, verses 28 and 29, it says, They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So Jesus' teaching had an, an authoritative ring to it. How he went about that, I don't think it was with the better than, the better than you attitude. Um, surely it wasn't. Um, but he did have authority in his, in his teaching. So, leading up to this, he has a large following. There's a lot of people that believed on him. But Jesus, knowing all things, knew that this was a surface-level faith. Just two chapters back in John 6, verse 66. Um, this is actually just after him feeding the 5,000. He fed the 5,000 the next day. Many came to him, um, came to him again, gathered around him, and he would have, he would have made the statement, um, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because ye did eat the loaves and were filled. So here he's pointing out, you're approaching me, or you're coming back to me for the wrong reason. And he goes on to say how he's the bread of life. Um, talks about them needing him. That's another quick summary. Then in verse 66, so there was many hard things said, and the disciples even asked, um, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? Um, and Jesus asked, does it offend you? Verse 66, it says, from that, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Note the word disciples in, in verse 66. Um, that's going to show up in our text, and we're going to look at that some more. So that we have a large group, a lot of it disintegrating because of what he said. And as I thought about that, I had to think of what Jesus taught in Matthew 13, the parable of the sower and the soils, how scattering seed, and Jesus right there, he was scattering the seed. Many heard, much sprouted up, but not many brought fruit. Uh, we know that parable well, the seed on the, on the road and on the, the rocks and some in the good soil. 
And Jesus knew that's what he had back in chapter 6. And, and here in John 8, we see it, we'll, we will see it again, um, how he, he separates the two. So many believed. Verse 30, many believed. And how can we tell the difference? There are many today that would consider themselves Christian. You wouldn't have to go real far to um, simply ask somebody, are you a Christian? And they'd, they'd probably agree. Uh, maybe that's trending down a little bit. I don't really know. I didn't look at any statistics on that. But probably even a higher claim would be of people believing in God. I believe in God is a pretty easy statement to make. So how can you tell if someone, or even ourselves, are true disciples? I believe we should definitely look at ourselves um, with this aspect of are we true disciples? As I mentioned with chapter 6, it says, many of Jesus' disciples left him. And that seems kind of alarming to me. But how, so how can we tell if someone, or ourselves, are true disciples? Let's read verses 31 through 36. Uh, John 8, verse 31 says, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be, ye shall be free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin, and the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. So first point I want to look at is the gauge of true discipleship. What is the gauge of true discipleship? Jesus had a large crowd and now he's pinpointing on the true. How are you going to know if you are one of my disciples? Verse 31 now Jesus is speaking to those that have believed on him, and I believe there's still a large group, and there's, there's a divide. Some believed, some still obviously did not. So he's saying to those who believed in him, if you continue in my word, you shall be my disciples indeed. In some other translations it would say, or you shall truly be my disciples. So if you continue is the key phrase of of someone being a true disciple. So let's look um, at the word disciple some more. A disciple is a follower or a student. And we would understand those, um, what those would be, especially student, one that's learning. From what I understand, in this culture, the Jewish culture, um, a disciple had more meaning than that. And there was, um, when somebody was really serious about being a disciple, they would, um, they would find a rabbi and they would not just learn to know him, as you might know somebody's name, be able to recognize them um, on the street or in the store, but really, truly know them. They would shadow them. Um, I think in even some cases they would have lived with them. I'm not certain on that. But they would have spent a lot of time with them. They wanted to know exactly what this rabbi is, what he knows. They would, they would study under him. Um, any questions they would have, they would... Um, they would go to him. They wanted to know him very well um, to the point where they could think as he thought. A disciple is one that is, is truly in tune with the one that they're following. And as they followed these rabbis, they were not simply wanting to know the, the rabbi better. It was, it was to know God. And they, they had a, 
Um, that was their end goal, to know God. But they, they, want, they needed to know the rabbi very well. And that meant spending lots of time, a lot of time, continuing in um, with the life of the rabbi. So now Jesus is calling his disciples. So they understood, they understood the concept of, of the disciple being with the rabbi. So when he used the word disciples, I believe it has a very deep meaning for them. So if you continue in my word, there needs to be a continuation um, for the true disciple. Many believed, and I had mentioned that a few times, but Jesus makes the distinction of a true disciple with two key words that we can see in verse 31. It says, if, and I talked about if you continue, and then you are my disciples indeed. Then you are truly my disciples. Um, there needs to be the continuation, then the true disciple. Does that mean that salvation comes after a certain period? No, and I don't want to make it sound that way. Um, one is saved um, immediately, the way I would understand it. I would I believe that Jesus would teach salvation comes immediately. But we've seen in verse 30 that many believed, and even back in chapter 6, many believed, but not many stayed. So we're looking at the true disciple. Um, an example of one being um, saved at repentance is, is Jesus on the cross when the, when the thief said, um, uh, the one that, one that said, that, that repented of his sin, said, when you, when you enter your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus said, today you shall be with me in paradise. It was immediate. There wasn't um, a span that he needed to prove himself. Um, but Jesus is just saying, claiming um, to believe is not a true disciple. There needs to be a continuation. So what is required to be the true disciple? It is the word, it is, it is the continuation. A true disciple is going to continue. Let's look at another word in this, in, um, along with continue. Some translations would use the word abide. And the word abide means to stay or to remain. And I talked about the, the rabbi and the disciple. Staying, remaining, um, to learn and continuing in the word. So to, continue, to abide or continue in the Word, uh, in, in, the, in the Bible, to become a disciple of Jesus is, is not, to, it's not a one-time one thing or simply a Sunday attitude. Um, we don't flip a switch and have um, the, the continuation simply on Sunday come the work week where um, we look totally different. It should not be that way. Um, true disciples, it's going to be a lifestyle um, and a continue, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be our life. It's going to show Sunday through the, through the week. It's going to look the same. And can people see that? True discipleship comes from the dedicated. And Jesus is pointing out he needs dedicated disciples. If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples. And Jesus is still looking for disciples that are dedicated to him. And like I mentioned earlier, there's many that would claim to be Christian, claim to know God, but the, the fruit is not there. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And that means keeping my commandments throughout your life, not simply when you feel like it or when it's convenient. Obedience is the characteristic of a true disciple. Simply believing there is a God is not the same as having faith in God, and I believe we're very familiar with that. Uh, James chapter 2, verse 19, 
says, even the demons believe and tremble. Just went through um, James in Sunday school, and I really appreciate the book of James as far as being so practical. It, um, very straightforward, how we are saved by faith, but do our works show that? Are our works coming out of our faith? Not that we are saved by our works, not at all, but is it true? Are we truly disciples? For disciples of, of Jesus, we're going to do what Jesus said, and Jesus said, go and um, um, help, the, help others do good, um, be a witness. It is definitely more than lip service. It needs to be a- there needs to be action. The Christian life is not simply a life of do's and don'ts. Um, we would agree there are things that a Christian should not do. But do we not do, do we do certain things or do we not do certain things um, because we love Christ? Or is it because if somebody asks you, why do you not do a certain thing? Is it because um, I'm not allowed? Because the church says I can't? Or because it is offensive to, to God? It is, it is against the Bible. And hopefully that is your true motivation, that your love for Christ is the motivation. Yes, there are guidelines um, in churches, but um, it's, for, it's for our good. Um, yeah, the true love for Christ should be our motivation, not simply because um, I'm not allowed. It's because Christ would be offended or hurt if I did a certain thing. So the Christian life is not restrictive, but rather it is liberating. And for an unbeliever, that is, that is hard to wrap your mind around, um, how that can be liberating and not restrictive because it appears there's so many things that you're limited to not do when you, when you accept Christ as your Savior. But as we'll see, what are we being, um, what are we being freed from? And we'll look at freedom in a bit. But first, let's look at the effect of true discipleship. So we have the gauge, obedience. We see um, it, there, has to be, um, there has to be certain things that show um, for a true disciple, dedication, one that continues obedience and um, a life that displays it. So what's the effect of true discipleship? What is in it for me? I know that's not a great um, phrase. It is something that is often, often brought up in um, employment. There you look at what are the benefits? What's in it for me? And there is something in this for you, um, for those that continue in the word. Verse 32 says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. What is truth? It's pretty much of a loaded question. The definition that I just quickly looked up, the quality or state of being true. Um, I know that's using the same word in the definition. When I hear what is truth, I often think of what Pilate asked Jesus. That is probably one of the most um, famous questions Pilate would have asked when um, when Pilate asked Jesus, um, what is truth? And the truth was standing right before him. So I wonder sometimes, did Pilate ask, what is truth, because he really wondered? Or was he just exasperated with, the, with what was going on? He had the, the mob outside that was trying to push him. He had, um, the, he had Caesar. On the other hand, if he would have let Jesus go, he very likely would have lost his job, maybe worse. Um, so why did why did Pilate or why did why did Pilate even ask what is truth? 
because he didn't even stay to hear the answer. Um, but we know that, uh, we know what, what, what truth was in that setting. Jesus was truth. He was saying that he is truth. On the same lines of truth, in our society, truth has become very individualistic. I'm sure you've heard the terms my truth or your truth. Um, but real truth does not compromise. It either is or it isn't. There are, there are circumstances where it's um, my way might not be the only right way in maybe doing something. Um, but truth, that, that it either is or it isn't. Um, relative truth, people like to argue whether um, is, is truth really relative? Well, if there's nothing, if there's no, if there's no foundation, what, what, um, what can be certain? Because without truth, without truth, there is no foundation in which, any, in which anything can be certain. Um, so we need to know what truth is. And when Jesus says, you shall know the truth. So what is, what is truth? Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't leave it up to individual interpretation. He didn't ask them if they, he didn't, he didn't leave it up to individual interpretation, like if they wanted it to be true. He spoke it. He said, this is truth. I am truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way to the Father. He didn't say, if you want to believe this, this is what is true. No, that is what it was. The truth is believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, repenting of one's sin and living in freedom by the power of Jesus. Freedom is the effect of true discipleship. If you continue in my word, you shall be my disciples indeed. So there's an action that needs to be done. We need to continue to be a disciple. What comes from that? Freedom comes from that. Knowing the truth, knowing God, and experiencing freedom. Romans 6.22 says, But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruits unto holiness and the end everlasting life. So while we have, um, we can experience freedom, and we'll look more at that, um, what we're free from, uh, free from sin, there is the promise of everlasting life to those that um, are continuing, continuing in the word. I've seen someone's interpretation of verse 32. It says, And you shall know me, speaking of Jesus, you shall know me, and I shall set you free. And that, that could, be, could be accurate. Um, we would, you shall know Jesus, and Jesus shall, shall set you free. So we see the word free, and we know in order to be made free from anything, you first have to be in bondage. Um, if you came... If you went to anybody, probably, here, and said that um, you are free from prison, it, there would be no, there would be no um, really appreciation, because your answer, your, your answer to that would be, well, I'm not, I'm not in prison. I'm not in bondage. To, I'm not behind bars. Um, so at first, to be, to be free, there has to be bondage, and there also has to be a recognition of bondage. Let's go into verse 33. So Jesus, he's, he made these statements. He said, Being, continue my word, be my disciple. Then um, you shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. And after he said, you shall be made free, right away they say, we be Abraham's seed and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, 
ye shall be made free. They obviously did not like the fact of Jesus saying that they need to be made free. Um, they said, we are not in bondage. But Jesus obviously was talking about spiritual bondage, and we have the pri privilege of being able to read through the account and having the Bible. Um, so we know Jesus was talking of, of spiritual bondage and not physical, even though these very Jews were under physical bondage at, the po at this point. They were under the Roman law, uh, under Roman rule, um, and their lineage went back. They were under, under bondage many times. Um, did they mean that, or did they, were they talking more about um, the promise, being a part of the promised nation? Um, it's not real clear, but Jesus knows that they are thinking more physical freedom, and he says he's obviously talking about spiritual freedom and spiritual bondage. And what, he, what we'll see, what he says to them, is also true for us. He said... Um, in verse 33, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Sin causes bondage, and, and it's bondage to the devil. He is speaking of intentional and deliberate sin. Um, could be rebellion, whatever it might be, but intentional a deliberate sin that we are willingly continuing in. We would all understand how we are humans. We fail. Um, we do sin from time to time. But he's, he's speaking of a, a deliberate sin, living, um, intentional, sinful life. Romans 6, I'm just going to turn there, 6.16. Let's start at verse 15. It says, What then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Verse 16 says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey. Whether of, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye, were, that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Then being, being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Um, so there he's saying, do we, uh, the, the bondage from one to the other, bondage to sin um, or to Christ. Again, the, the Jews would have said, we are of Abraham, and we're not in bondage. Um, sin, again, Jesus points out that sin is the bondage. And sin, regardless of, of who you are, um, is sin is, is bondage and withholds access to heaven, to true freedom, to spiritual freedom, and ultimately eternal life. He goes on to give the example in verse 35. The servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. They brought up Abraham, and we um, know how Abraham had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. Isaac was the promised child, and Ishmael was born to a slave, a slave woman, and, um, but, he, but they lived in the same household. A household servant may live in the same house with the family, but could leave or be dismissed at any time. Um, and that also happened in, with Abraham. He dismissed Hagar and Ishmael, um, whereas the son has permanent residence. Um, Jesus made this comparison because of their claim to Abraham. They may be in the house or lineage of Abraham, but they are not the children of Abraham since they are not spiritually part of God's family. Um, sooner or later, as with any other slave, they will find themselves cast out. 
Um, we see that Isaac received the inheritance. A servant will not receive inheritance, but the son, but a son will. Um, he puts that comparison in front of them so because it's something they're familiar with. True freedom is being free through the Son, Jesus. And he says in verse 36, um, sort of sums up what he had just said, If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed, or you shall truly be free. If the Son makes you free, not if because you are the, in the lineage of Abraham, um, or for any other reason, but if the Son therefore shall make you free, you will be free indeed. And that freedom is repenting and believing, um, accepting what Christ has done for us, and accepting the freedom that he offers, uh, offers through his blood. Later on in verses that I, the, after verse 36, um, he acknowledges that they are, a, they are physically in the lineage of Abraham. He says, I know that you are Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. And he points out to them how if you are really Abraham's seed, or if you are really Abraham's children, you would do as Abraham does. And you are, Abraham didn't try to um, minimize God or get rid of God. And he's making the claim that he is God. He said, and you're trying, you're trying to kill me. Um, if they were truly Abraham's children, they would do the works of Abraham. Uh, freedom is, is found through obedience, and obedience is doing the will of God. And Jesus mentioned that he has, he has come to, in verse 38, I speak that which I have seen with my Father. So he's, he's saying he's, he is doing the will of the Father, of his Father. Um, and if you are the children of Abraham, you would do as Abraham does. And he's, draw, he's pointing out their hypocrisy. And uh, Jesus said in John 6, 38, I came down from heaven not to, do the, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Um, not, to, not his own agenda, but God's. And we find that a lot throughout Jesus' life, how he, he went to pray, he went to um, spend some time alone with the Father. Um, there was a direct connection between Jesus and the Father. Their security, meaning the, the, the Jews' security, um, or the false sense of freedom, came in the fact that their ancestry dates back to Abraham. And like I mentioned, um, he, he points out that um, if you were Abraham's children, you would do as Abraham does. Um, just because you are Abraham's children does not mean you are righteous. It's not about the decisions of Abraham. They had to live a righteous life as well. And likewise do we... Um, we don't receive salvation through our parents or our grandparents. Um, our lineage does not save us, and neither can we pass it down to our children. Um, there's nothing like being grandfathered in to salvation. Um, when something is grandfathered in, if it's something that's already existing and laws or codes might change, um, it, it can stay because it was already there. They're being placed in a family does not guarantee salvation. Um, it is, it's an individual choice. Um, we can and we should do all we can to direct those that we are responsible for in the right direction, but we ultimately cannot make their decisions. Um, they have to experience the freedom. They have to experience the continuing um, in the word and learning to know the truth and being set free um, themselves. It has to be an individual choice, but we 
need to direct. So to conclude, freedom is offered. It is a life free of guilt. Freedom to live a life of holiness. But it's not of our own grit or determination, but by the power of God. And I think as um, independent, if we have independent people, we like to think we can do things on our own. Um, I tend to not like to ask for help. Um, I, can, I can do it myself. But when it comes to um, this freedom that is being offered, it is nothing we can do of ourselves. It is only through Jesus. We can put on an outward appearance that looks great. It might all look right. But if it, if it is our own, um, as Isaiah said, it is filthy rags. Our own righteousness is as filthy rags. So what do we need to do to obtain this freedom? Repent and believe is the first. That must happen. True repentance, believing and accepting that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then continuing in the word. And I mentioned the, the rewards. What, what comes from continuing in the word and being a true disciple? And it's eternal life. It is rewards that we can't even grasp, yet we tend to forget them. At least I do. I tend to forget what is beyond this life. Um, I think the Olympics are right around the corner or just started. They're every four years. The Summer Olympics are every four years. And the athletes, they train, they push, they they exercise, they eat very strict diets and exercise programs because they have a goal in mind. They want this reward. They want to work. They want to win the gold medal, um, and that's what they're that's what they're determined to do. They they see the goal, and they a lot of them put much time and sacrifice into that for this corruptible prize. Can we be challenged to put that kind of effort into an eternal prize, one that? Um, Jesus says, moth or rust cannot corrupt. Thieves can't break through and steal. Um, the, the gold medals can corrode. They can look ugly. They can get stolen. And in the end, they are just that, just a piece of metal. But uh, heaven is not. Heaven is forever. And are we, is, that, is that our goal? Will we continue with that in mind? Will we continue in his word so we can be free now? We can be free from a life of guilt now? And then ultimately so we can dwell with the Son and with Jesus forever. So just a challenge for myself and for you. Live free. Jesus desires to see you living free. Maybe not the freedoms that physically that we know might not always last. But freedom in spirit, in mind, freedom from guilt... Um, having an, an open conscience uh, before God because ultimately that's really what's going to matter at the end of our life. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Lord, we come before you this morning and we thank you that you have offered us freedom. Freedom through your son on the cross. You've offered us freedom of a life of guilt and of... Um, of a, of a guilty conscience, of, of unsettled, unpeaceful. Lord, we thank you for a clear conscience, one of peace, that we can go through each day knowing that our lives are in your hands, and that's okay. And we are we're willing to um, do what
do what you have for us. Lord, just help us to stay strong, to continue in the word, that we could be truly, could truly be disciples, not just surface level, but truly committed in our hearts. Lord, I pray you would bless the congregation here at Myerstown, and I just um, ask that you go with us as we go from here, but to continue and to live free. I pray this in your name. Amen. Joel, can you have a song?